Hi, I'm the host for Let's Talk Parish, and I'm taking this opportunity to announce a change to our theme music. Unfortunately, after migrating some files from one device to another, the music file for the podcast wasn't playing. Checking with the website where I get royalty-free music, I discovered that the music we were using is no longer available. So I did a temporary fix and began looking for new theme music. And so, let me introduce you to Live and Be Happy by Valentina Gribanova. Welcome to Let's Talk Parish. Let's Talk Parish will be an opportunity to learn about some of the people that call the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in Sacramento, California, home. My name is Chris, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Chris. How are you this morning? Fine. Yourself? I'm doing well. This Good. is uh, the, the first Tuesday of the Easter octave. Amen. Uh, when we're doing this recording, and, and so it's a, uh, it's been a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful weekend. So I'm still on a bit of a roll from all of that. You and me both. Yeah. Well, um, just to start us off, would you uh, open this uh, episode with, uh, with a prayer? Be glad to. Be glad to. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, please give us the wisdom to speak the truth, listening to your word as we progress, so that when we speak, um, we do speak the truth. Um, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for bringing Chris to the cathedral to guide us on these on, on, on this journey and um, we pray and offer our intentions for all those who are suffering who have died from the coronavirus um, and we pray for our world leaders that they may have the strength and fortitude um, and persevere in doing the right thing Again, um, guide us this morning that we may speak the truth and uh, be as open and honest um, with you as, as humanly possible. We ask this through the Lord Jesus Christ, um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fred. Mm -hmm. um, I already have a question for you. Amen. Because there was Go a ahead. word. There was a word that you used in the prayer more than once, and that's the word truth. Yes. Um, what about what is it about truth that's important to you? Well, you know, I I see this as an opportunity um, to be as honest and upfront about my past as possible, hmm. and that's what's difficult. Um, so in many ways, I see this as an opportunity to confess, if you will, uh, to apologize, uh, to offer penance. And I know that may sound strange, um, but the only, the real thing that I grappled with before agreeing to come down and sit down with you was, you know, could I sit down and answer, answer questions honestly without, you know, aggrandizing things, making right. things more important than they were. It's, 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 sure, this is the interview with me and maybe about my life, but I mean, there, there are things that are much greater than, than, than you or I. Sure. And um, so when I refer to truth, I'm referring to, can I, can I be honest about my experience and my faith journey and in in a way that that um, well, it's honest. Yeah. And so, well, just to let you know, this isn't sixty minutes, and it's not firing line. So, no um, yeah, I, I don't plan on asking a lot of you know intense personal types of of questions. So, but it's up to you to reveal as much as you wish. Amen. 
Um, uh, well, thanks. I mean, it is. Yeah. Truth, truth is absolutely important. So, um, uh, one of the, there's the three main qualities of God um, that's talked about, especially by uh, uh, von Balthasar, uh, truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are characteristics of God. And so truth is absolutely important. I just uh, was curious about your own, because you mentioned it so many times. So that's cool. Well, well and, and you and I also, as catechists, if you will, um, we um, are constantly teaching, excuse me, teaching isn't the right way to word, we're more guides than we are mm-hmm. teachers. Um, but when we bring the word and we talk about the catechism and um, the Catholic way of life, um, how do we do that in such a way that we're being honest and truthful and real, if you will, with the people who are looking up and listening to us? Right. And so, you know. Right. No, that's you're absolutely right. We so, don't have we don't have the the latitude to just go off the cuff on things, which is a great yeah. thing. We have the the catechism itself that the magisterium put together. Absolutely. Um, to to help yeah. to help keep us on the straight and narrow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So how how many years have you been at the cathedral? You see, my wife and I first came to the cathedral in two thousand was it two thousand two or two thousand three two thousand two or two thousand three okay uh, shortly after we moved to West Sacramento and so we started going to various churches in West Sacramento and we decided let's go to the cathedral and of course the our introduction to the cathedral was Father Ho and. Oh, and um, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I love Father Ho, and but it, it, we we were five minutes late to that particular mass. It was a vigil mass, not a vigil mass. A Saturday Saturday after, evening we, mass. Saturday evening mass, and we walked in, and Father Ho, being Father Ho, stopped the mass to talk about being on time for mass. <laughs> and, and Grace and I were thinking, uh, should we leave? No, we stayed. And we stayed for the whole thing. And at that particular mass, we ended up meeting Sister Jenny. Sister Jenny, the very first mass we attend, um, um, got me talking about my background and my education and teaching experience and things along those lines. And she said, come to a meeting on Monday night. And I went, a meeting Monday night? Yeah, we need teachers. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And that meeting turned out to be, um, you know, it, it was a, a prayer meeting for the first, you know, 30 minutes. And I had no idea what I was doing. You know, it was that was how green I was, if you will, to being a catechist, to joining RCIA. And I never looked back. I mean, I... I, I stuck it out. Um, and within two or three weeks, I was a teacher, if you will, a, cate- a catechist. <laughs> beware, so, beware the Kenosian sisters. Oh, God. And, you know, Sister Jenny, I, I, I miss her already, but, you know, oh, yeah. so I, yeah. don't we all? Um, so I know you, and we, you know, just so our listeners know, you and I were having coffee every week uh, before the pandemic struck, and we've continued meeting. Uh, online right. every week and chatting and and um, so I know a little bit, but uh, you were not raised Catholic. No, and and in fact, you, you know, if if I talk about my spiritual journey, that might um, help a little bit. Sure, you know, um, of course, uh, I was born into a military family, and um, um, born and baptized eventually Presbyterian. Um, but that military family was during um, the Korean War. Mm. And my mother wanted to be as close to my father as possible, so that's why we were in Hawaii. That's why my mother oh, okay. was in Hawaii. And the the story um, starts out where I'm born Frederick Edwin Heacock Jr. Mm. My father, my mother and father agreed that the firstborn would be Michael Jennings peacock <laughs> i was supposed to be michael you know and but my mother was so afraid that my father might get killed in action you know that she wanted the name to be, sure. be carried on and i i know that doesn't sound like necessarily a 
a spiritual experience and my memory of it only comes through my my mother and my father telling me the story but um that created problems with my brother for the rest of my life you know because we were we've always been at odds but that's that's another whole story did your brother get the name michael yes he did he did he became michael jennings you know and so there was always that kind of silent competition friction between the two of us. I don't know if it had to do just with the name, but, you know, it's just... Well, siblings can be contentious so, anyway. And now your family doesn't know you as Fred, though, either, right? Well, actually, my immediate family does. But my wife and all of her family know me. And you had to ask me this one. <laughs> <laughs> they know me as Eric. As Eric. And that comes from uh, when I was doing undergraduate work at the University of Hawaii. Yeah, I know. I, I went back to Hawaii and the islands and really had a good time. But my roommate, who was Chinese, had trouble with the word, you're going to love this, had trouble with the word Frederick. Okay. It came out like Fred. Anyways, so he started hyphenating the name Fred Eric. And Eric. And so you know, Eric stuck. stuck. So close friends going through college and when I ended up working in the refugee processing centers overseas and things like that, it was Eric. It was Eric. You know. So, but when I came back to California, of course, all my family knows me as Fred, and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with Fred. So, or Eric, I guess. Or Eric, right? yeah. Um, so let's go back where we left off. So okay. you were born in Hawaii. Born in Hawaii. And you were raised. How long did you live in Hawaii? Oh, I I don't know, maybe a year. Um, um, I I don't know exactly how long, but it wasn't long. Uh, from there, we ended up moving to um, the Bay Area to San Francisco. Um, ended up living formative years, maybe four or five years on the Presidio of San okay. Francisco. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, of course, my, my father at the time um, was military. didn't learn until after he died that he was um, special forces and um, was in, in, ended up fighting not only in Korea, but in Vietnam and World War II and has been shot twice. And, but we never knew any of that yeah. until later. So it was it, it was tough. But during that time, um, we were involved with my mother and brother and myself were involved in the Presbyterian Church, and that's where I was first baptized. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it it's funny how we as catechists we really look forward to the Triduum and and the Easter Vigil and the baptizing of of adults. The baptism, uh, even as Presbyterian. Um, I still remember. It was it was literally it was a bathtub, a big bathtub, hmm. and um, we had robes that we put on. They weren't dirty robes. They were, and so we were completely submerged in the. So Pres Presbyterians don't have infant baptism. No, not like Catholics. Do. Not like Catholics. Do. Oh. So you had to wait until you were old. So how old were you when you were baptized? I'm I'm guessing eight or nine. Okay. You know, um, I can't tell you exactly how old I was. But it, it it was I was I was pretty young at the time. But the baptism itself is something you always remember. You know? Sure. And um and and I'm glad that happened. Um from there I'm I remember we took a, a we moved to Germany for three years. Um my father was stationed there, so we lived on the economy. And mm. it, and as you know, um Germany is more of a Protestant country than it is a Catholic country. Yes. And um, mostly Lutheran, mo mostly Lutheran, but you know the Presbyterian Church was still had a, a presence. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, for all I know, looking back on it, uh, because my mother used to drag me to church, which was okay. Uh, um, it could have been a Lutheran church, but uh, but it was a very Protestant kind of feel in, at the time. At the time, though, I didn't, I didn't really have any real understanding of things like salvation mm. you know eight nine ten years old i mean that that wasn't where my my head was i i my prayer that i prayed every night was now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul, my soul to, keep. to keep if i should die before i wake i pray the lord my soul to take yeah right. which is a great uh, prayer to teach to a child about if i should die before i wake exactly exactly so i had some introduction to salvation if you will um uh, and so 
anyways, along the ways, um, I, I, there was the Vietnam um, uh, years. We moved again. We lived in Southern California. My father was the um, uh, commandant for Brown Military Academy in Southern California. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was a big deal. I I have really cool memories. One was of you're gonna get I, I'm dating myself, but one was um, President Eisenhower mm. um, came to Brown Military Academy to pay much to salute and see if and, and it was kind of cool. I got sure. to shake the hand of President Eisenhower, who um, later on my dad told me. I, I was a a good little man, you know, at that time. But, you know, Eisenhower was president when I was born. Yeah, so you know, that, it was a while ago. So I was maybe nine, ten, eleven years old back in in, in at that time. So. In the mid fifties. Yeah. So um, high school was uh, again um, Southern California, uh, but in between, when I graduated from high school, I ended up moving to Mill Valley with my father mm-hmm. because my parents. Um, had gone through a divorce after 24 years of marriage. Um, my father at that time had been remarried before my mother. And so he remarries his first wife. Oh, wow. Who was um, a Christian scientist. Okay. And so, um, and, and I became close to her, but in a strange way, it was her spiritual nature. That kind of, and what I mean by that was, is that um, she believed that we had the power to heal ourselves completely. Mm-hmm. She didn't believe in doctors and, and right. those sorts of things. And um, uh, it, it left me angry when she died of pneumonia, you know, in, in many ways, because she was really good for my father at the same time. Um, so uh, was that... A turning point for me spiritually, um, I think it was a time to really question. Okay, um, my faith. Sure, if you will. So let me ask a, a question. Through all this time, did you were you participating in like um, Bible school or you know, sometimes there's like summer vacation Bible stuff? I mean, how much how how much of um, Christianity was actually a part of your growing up? You know. Um, Probably through about age 11 or 12, yes. You know, it was primarily at that time going to church service mm-hmm. with my mother. Um, after after high school, nothing, you really? know, pretty okay. much. It was, um, I, w- I was out there alone. I was um, uh, uh, determined to uh, get through college. Went to Citrus Community College at, at that point um, to get my AA degree. And that's down in Southern, Southern California. California. Yeah, it's, Orange it, County. No, um, it's more. It's closer to San Bernardino oh. County. I would think Citrus College would be part of Orange. No, well, yeah, it, it's it's because C- Citrus College is in the town of Azusa, oh. A Z U S A, which is right next to Glendora, and the foothills that. Um, used to be part of Azusa and Glendora was all citrus trees. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've been back since times for reunions with family, and those citrus trees, those orange groves, are gone. Yes, they're it's all. all it, it's nothing there, but Citrus College still is citrus. So, yeah. as an aside, Azusa is where the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement started. Yes, I'm um, aware of that. Are you aware of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's. Um, so, uh, but I didn't know that at the time. No, but no. that's just a historical aside. Yeah. So, no. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, so anyways, from Citrus College, I went to Hawaii and from Hawaii, I, clearly I was failing. Uh, there was no way to discipline myself with the ocean and, Mm. You know, the sun, and uh, so I ended up working full time as a as a sous chef, and had a great time. And but realized I wanted to finish my um, college education, and this is where I think I really began to get involved with the church, not the Catholic Church. 
Um, what I'm referring to was I transferred to Hastings College, Hastings, Nebraska. Oh, okay. Very different from Hawaii. Very different. Very isolated. Hastings College is a Presbyterian school. Oh. Presbyterian College. Okay. They do offer. Um, they do offer some master's degrees along those lines. Um, I got involved with. Um, I, I couldn't not get involved um, with with Bible study. Um, I started studying theology and philosophy. Now, as 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 classroom stuff or just on your own? Classroom stuff. Yeah, I I I, I was seeking a degree in philosophy at that time, hmm. just more out of opposition than anything else because they offered degrees in theology, but being the oppositional kid I was at that time. So I have an undergraduate degree in philosophy and theology. So Hastings College in Nebraska was a turning point for me in many ways, um, at least spiritually. I came back to the Presbyterian faith, did some work with the World Council of Churches um, at that time, um, was involved with a prayer group, but at the same time I was involved with the philosophy the philosophia, the the love of wisdom, trying to answer that question, um, what does it all mean? You know. Yeah. So, but I was I was I was seeking at that time. You know. Um, from and and then an interesting thing happened. From Nebraska, after I graduated, I I moved back to California with my mother for a while, and then I took a job in Thailand. And you're going Thailand, and I said. I went to work for Save the Children Foundation. Now, how did you decide to do that? How did that come about? Well, um, partly because um, I had friends who had uh, gone to work in um, Thailand in the refugee processing centers, partly because I was thinking in terms of um, there's no way I'm going to go to Vietnam, Um, partly because I wanted to serve at the same time, Mm -hmm. and I figured... Why not uh, serve in a refugee processing center where the refugees were coming out of primarily Vietnam mm-hmm. or in those southeastern Asian Southeast Vietnam, Asian countries, Cambodia probably, yeah, Laos, yeah, and 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 Vietnamese. There was one aspect of Thailand. It was in the little town of Panatnikom, was where the camp was. All of the Vietnamese were interned in the middle of the camp. Now, picture a camp that's outside in a jungle area, and the middle or a nucleus of the camp was surrounded by barbed wire and armed guards. Inside of that camp is where the Vietnamese were. Why? Because the Vietnamese and the Cambodians were at odds. The Vietnamese had occupied Cambodia, and there was a lot of downright hate between the two. Oh, dear. So it was for their own safety sure. more than anything else. How old were you when you went to work for Save the Children? Do you remember? Or ballpark it? I'm going to say 26, 27, okay. something along those lines. Um, and so I was still a relatively young man. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, anyways, it was one of those life-changing experiences living in uh, in in another country, where I had to learn to speak Thai, never was very good at it, by the way. Um, and in the refugee camp, of course, everybody there was was uh, learning English, and they're being going through cultural orientation and those sorts of things before coming to places like the United States or Canada. Or, they were relocating people. They were relocating, so it was a reloc. It was a refugee processing center. I see. And so these refugees were refugees that would um, uh, start out at uh, either the border of um, between Thailand and Cambodia or Thailand and Laos. Mm-hmm. So um, the Laotians were trying to escape the communist uh, regime of the path at Lao in um, Laos at that time. And of course, the Cambodians were trying to get out of their own country that was being occupied and run overrun by, um, it was either the Vietnamese or it was their own uh, Pol Pot. Pol Pot yeah. was the, um, it, it, he exterminated a lot of his own people. And then we had the secret war oh. in Cambodia with 
our own CIA. Oh, well. But that's another story. Yeah, that's another story. So so I made a couple of trips, um, and I can say this now uh, over these years, into Cambodia and into Laos. Okay. Uh, basically to visit the refugee processing centers on those camps, which were just, I'm telling you, um, I've never seen anything quite like it, you know, in my life. Desolate. Like, like bad? Oh, yes. Extremely bad. Extremely depressing. Um, um, everybody is suffering from hunger and malnutrition and um, sure makes me um, thankful uh, to be alive and well here in, in the United States, yeah. thinking and knowing that there are people all over the world right now who are in similar situations. And I'll bet, I'll bet most of them also had PTSD. But oh. at the time, was probably an undiagnosed. Yeah, we used to call it being shell shock. Shell shock, yeah. Yeah, and so. the Hmong also come out of Laos. Yeah, and, and and of course there were a lot of Hmong in the camp as well um, in in Thailand. The Hmong, um, as you know, fought alongside of the CIA, and we made the promise to bring as many of them out as possible. Of course, we broke that promise for a long time, and yeah, it's uh, a very sad story so, actually. Yeah, so. So from so from Thailand, I went to um, California. Came back home. Came back to Cali- so how many how many years were you in Thailand? Almost three. Almost three. Almost three. And came back to California because my mother was undergoing major cancer surgery. Okay. So I wanted to be with her through that process. So let me let me just before we leave yeah, Thailand yeah. completely. Yep. Um, did your how did your faith play a part uh, in your life during that time in Thailand? You know it did but it wasn't a christian faith thailand is a very buddhist country true so one of my primary teachers was a buddhist monk you know oh interesting so on the weekend uh, because there were no there was there was no presbyterian or catholic churches at all in 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 thailand and there might have been some in bangkok um, but definitely not at a refugee no, camp no no definitely not in panatnikom which was more uh, a, a town towards the, the Laotian border. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I started studying with a Buddhist monk. I was teaching him English, and he was teaching me Thai. Mm. You know? But he was also teaching me to pray in many ways. Um, call it meditation. Mm-hmm. Call it paying respects to Lord Buddha every time you come into a temple. You know, bringing gifts, um, gifts generally it was uh, food or something like that mm. for the monks. Um, the alms giving piece, which is is important to us as mm-hmm. well. Um, the Buddhist monk lives that way. Right. Every morning, barefoot, um, they get out to walk the streets and and, and they put themselves at the mercy of of the people. Mm-hmm. Um. They go barefoot because they 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 need to be able to feel where they're walking to make sure they're not stepping on a bug or 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 anything along those lines. Right. The first tenet or a commandment, if you will, of um, um, Buddhism is don't kill the animals, mm-hmm. and that's a blanket. Don't kill anything, you know, along right. those lines. Um. So it was it, it was a very peaceful, reverent, respectful um, uh, people, if you will. I'm talking about the, the Thai people mm-hmm. um, in Thailand that impressed upon me the um, importance of respect and love and those those kinds of things. Um, and it's very devotional. It's extremely, extremely devotional. Um, just the, the, the degree of respect and how they... Um, Meditate when they're in a Buddhist temple is just, it, it was almost overwhelming. I loved it. But I realized when I came back to the States that, you know, when you're, when you're raised a Christian, you're always a Christian. Hmm. I could be raised a Buddhist if I was raised a Buddhist, and then I could adopt Christianity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it, it wouldn't be a problem. But for me, coming back to the States, I realized um, I was not Buddhist. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to be, but 
I'm a baptized Christian. Right. You know, in that first. And um, so I came back. My mother survived the surgery, by the way. Good. But I still wanted to go back. The job in Thailand was closed, but another one opened up in the Philippines. With the same Save the Children? No. No. This one was with the International Catholic Migration Commission. So here comes the word Catholic. Here comes the word Catholic. So I'm working for ICMC, the International Catholic Migration Commission, in Bataan, in, in a little town called Morong, uh, where the Bataan Death March um, originated. Oh, my. And so the camp is up on a, on a hill overlooking the South China Sea. Beautiful jungle. <laughs> you know, it was pretty remote along those lines. Okay. But I had to live in the camp. Um, for maybe five, six weeks at a time, and then I'd have a week off. Was it a, was it a refugee camp? It was a refugee camp, but it was also a refugee processing center. From um, what kind of what kind of people? Where, where were people coming from? Um, a, a lot of them were boat people coming out of again Vietnam. Vietnam. Um, some would come from Laos. Some would from um, Cambodia. Um, some Hmong. All the uh, way to the Philippines. All the way to the Philippines. Wow. And um, the boat people uh, would land in the Philippines, and the Philippine um, uh, government uh, was very, very welcoming. Of course, ICMC, the International Catholic Migration Commission, is a worldwide organization. Mm -hmm. you know. At the time, um, I was being introduced to being Catholic, um, there was a church in the camp. It was made out of corrugated tin. <laughs> oh my! Dirt floor. Wow! You know, uh, it was a it was a very rustic. the The altar was uh, made of wood, um, along those lines, and could be picked up and carried off. Um, a, and and there was another non denominational Christian church in camp. There was a priest that would come out maybe once every. Oh, I, I'm going to say two weeks mm -hmm. to do a mass, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it wasn't so much uh, the fact that it was a Catholic migration commission that I was working for. Um, it wasn't so much that um, uh, I was in the presence of, you know, the Catholic Church, even in the camp. Um, it was meeting Grace. Grace is my wife, mm -hmm. who had gone back, gone, gone back, what I mean by that was she was educated at Johns Hopkins um, as a nurse. Here in the, here in the in States. In the States, yes, in, in the Baltimore area, and then wanted to give something back to the Philippines. So she had gone back to work in the Refugee Processing Center um, and ended up taking a job as a supervisor um, in the Cultural Orientation Program hmm. because she had that experience working with people who um, were coming to the United States. Mm -hmm. She'd lived here, so the, that made her an expert, I guess. So they would be able to understand the Philippine culture. Or the Philippine culture would be able to understand our culture. Vice and, versa. And vice right. versa. Um, the interesting thing is I was there working for a, um, a supervisor in the pre-employment training part. So there are three, three, three things that people would go through. I'm talking about the refugees. Mm -hmm. They would go through English, ESL. Okay. Um, they would go through cultural orientation courses, and then they would go through pre-employment training to prepare them for employment. Because they were going to get, once again, relocated to the United States. That's right. They needed That's to get right. ready for that. So, so Grace and I met as supervisors in the Refugee Processing Center. Do you remember how you met? You know, I can't tell you exactly, but the the first there was a little cafeteria, so to speak. You you might be able to get three or four things to eat, mm -hmm. you know, at one mm -hmm. time. But I um, I like coffee, even as even if the coffee was horrible, you know, <laughs> even if it tasted more like chicory, you know, pure. <laughs> well, God, it was bad. Yeah. But I'm I meant I I needed my morning coffee. You know. I feel you there. Yeah. So I met her. Um, I'm pretty sure. In the cafeteria one morning, we just started talking. And, of course, the gossip in the refugee processing center. Now, imagine there were maybe a dozen or so Americans, people who 
look like me, white, you know, sure. Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. At the time, I was still Protestant, so I guess yeah. it was. And and then there were about 400 teachers and supervisors who were from the Philippines. Okay. You know, because the job, if you were Filipino, paid very well, you know. And so people would work there for years, you know. And 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 most of the Philippine most Filipinos speak English. Hmm. Everybody who worked there who were Filipino had at least a bachelor's degree, you know. Mm-hmm. So very educated group in in that sense. So Grace and I became um, first, I think, friends, and then we started uh, traveling together. <laughs> it was kind of funny because when we were in the camp. We didn't um, uh, want people to know we were going out. <laughs> and why? Because of that gossip. Sure. Thing, you know, immediately somebody say, would ask, well, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? And we'd go, oh, God. You know. So we kept it on the slide probably for five or six months. That's pretty good. And it, we were on our... Um, one of our side trips to uh, um, a mountainous town called Baguio. So these trips you all went on were working trips. They weren't just vacation-type trips. Or were well, they both? they were both. Both? They were both. I would say they were more vacation uh, kinds of trips. Okay. After working six or seven weeks straight, six days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, you needed time off. Yes, you yeah, did. You did. And... Um, so we would travel, and our our friendship just really, really grew, and it was clear um, that we were going to be together for a long time. And um, I'd, I'd say probably maybe six months into our relationship, we were in Baguio, as I mentioned. We went around the corner and literally bumped into three people we worked for, or worked with in the refugee process. Oh, there goes the gossip. There went the gossip. Um, so it was it was pretty shortly after that we began planning a wedding, and we were both married, um, and not being Catholic, mm-hmm. um, they wouldn't let us get married in a Catholic church in the Philippines, but they would marry us in a Presbyterian church. Again, Presbyterian church comes into the question. I, can't get away from it. Yeah. And so we were married in a pretty big wedding in Manila uh, shortly after that. Um, and that was, well, this December, it will be 36 years. Now, if, so, I, if I remember the story, you've, and you shared this with me before, there was both a, a Presbyterian minister and a Catholic priest present yeah. at the wedding? Yeah, her, her brother. Her brother is a divine word missionary priest. And um, he um, indirectly is probably responsible uh, in a good way uh-huh. uh, for me coming to the faith uh, the way I have. At the time, um, Joey, Father mm-hmm. Joey. Father you, Joey, I've met him. You've yeah, met him, yeah. He's a delightful person. Yeah, he is. He lives up in... Uh, in Toronto? He's in Toronto Canada? now. Canada, yeah. He has a parish in Toronto. Yeah. Um, he has a parish. Um, it's the Italian and Portuguese parish because he speaks Italian and Portuguese. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just an amazing individual yeah, he in, is. in that sense. And um, so uh, shortly after we were married, we ended up, uh, we didn't come back to the States right away because we couldn't get out of the country. Why we couldn't get out of the country? The Philippine Revolution. Oh yeah. wow! And um, so they so were, they cl- they closed down the borders. Oh, basically, they closed down everything. You know, um, in fact, we were staying in uh, the little town of San Pedro. San Pedro is south of Manila, maybe 35, 40 minutes okay. by bus, and the bus is shut down. And at that time, uh, we were married at this time. Mm-hmm. I was in Manila. Um, having coffee. There's a coffee again. And um, when I saw tanks go by outside, and I'm going, I, I, I can't swear right now. I, But, you know, it was like, oh, yeah. look at the delete. Um, and it, it took me almost five hours to go the half an hour trip to get home. Because Grace was at home in San, in San Pedro. Pedro. 
And so it was almost two weeks before we could get out of the country. You know? Now, at the time that you married Grace, had the thought of um, becoming Catholic crossed your mind? I don't think consciously, but um, I, I I was pretty sure that it was going to happen. Hmm. And, and, and once we once we did get back to the states, which uh, wasn't too shortly after that, we ended up in Northern California. And uh, again, my mother ended up moving in with us for okay. a while, you know, which was delightful. Grace is a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went back and got her California license. She didn't take her long at all because she'd already been licensed um, in Baltimore. Okay. So the reciprocity was there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I went back and did some graduate work in, in psychology. Mm-hmm. And she um, uh, went to work for a hospital in Santa Rosa. And because that's where we were. Santa at, Rosa? At that time. The, uh, I, I went to Sonoma State University, which is in Ronert Park, which is just south of uh, Santa Rosa. And uh, Grace has a lot of family in Baltimore. And from there, it, it, we already had the plans to move to Baltimore at that time. Okay. We already knew uh, I needed to finish my graduate work, and she wanted to make sure she was licensed um, as a registered nurse. Um, but then we were off to Baltimore, you know. And as soon as we got to Baltimore, um, uh, that was when, because we lived on the eastern shore of Baltimore at that time, um, we, we we knew that we wanted to have kids, and we did have we had Gisella, which mm-hmm. was which was wonderful. And um, I started meeting with a priest to go over the catechism. We met four or five times. Over coffee, several hours at a time. Do you remember about when that was? I want to say 84, 85. 84. Yeah. I'm not even sure we had a, a structured RCIA process at that time. I don't think we did, you know. Um, so, and, and, and you know that the, the new catechism was just coming out mm-hmm. at that particular time. Um, so I, I know I had a new, a copy of the new catechism at the time, but that was it. There was no real RCIA process. Um, it was in the little church of St. Peter and Paul. Um, I completed my sacraments on a Wednesday in Mm -hmm. the middle of the week, Mm -hmm. you know, with just a few family members. And, uh, uh, again, it was, you know, I've never looked back. Yeah. In all that time. And then from Baltimore, we moved to Washington State, you know, where I took a job as a mental health director for a five-county mental health authority. Oh, wow. Oh, that was a nightmare. But that was another story. It was just a political nightmare. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we made our way back to, well, where we are now. So from Washington State, you landed in Sacramento. Well, sure, because you know I have family in the area, and she has some family in Tracy and okay. in that area. And um, this was as close to I, I've always thought of California as being home. So you know. after after you um, were received into the Catholic Church back in Baltimore, right? Were you active in the parish, either in Baltimore and Washington State, or only, only in terms of going to mass on a regular basis? Okay, only in terms of Sunday mass. You know, uh, I remember when my daughter was 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 first born. Um, we were standing in in mass, and I was singing, and my daughter literally elbowed me in the leg and said, "No singing, Daddy." <laughs> you know. And so, you know, that's... Everyone's a critic. And so, uh, that's kind of stuck with me ever since then, you know. <laughs> and, but when we moved to Sacramento and got involved with the cathedral, um, that's, that's been many, many, many years. Yeah. Know, which, what, is, um, which has been great years. So, there's a lot of parishes in Sacramento. What drew you to the cathedral? Well, you, it, it, anybody who's walked into the cathedral knows that it's a special place mm-hmm. in terms of churches. Um, and, and in terms of um, the liturgy, 
um, I, I wasn't cognizant of, of how important that was and how beautiful it could be at the time mm-hmm. until Father Ho was shaking his finger at us when we walked in the door that day. And have you been late since then? No. I, <laughs> See, it worked. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Well, it worked. It, it, it definitely worked for Grace and myself. Yeah. We always try to be, um, you know, early. But I've always been like that anyways. It's just that, you know, at that time, traffic was a pain. Mm-hmm. We weren't sure where we were going. Right. You know, so we had an excuse, but, you know, come on. You know, you just leave earlier. And, yeah. And so... But then one thing, literally after getting involved with RCIA, which was my beginning, mm-hmm. uh, right, RCIA is the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Um, after getting involved with, with that program, um, eventually, kind of early on, we met. I think that was around 2003 or somewhere along there. No, that would be impossible. 2004. That would also be impossible. Um, uh, I started RCA in 2006. Well, and then I wasn't actually uh, uh, received into the church until 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, I, I, I was going to say you're a neophyte, but no, no, you're. Well, I'm a little bit older you're, than a neophyte. You're a little bit, uh, it's been a few years. That, so. so the dates kind of all run together. I, 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 you know, I can relate to that. Um, but one thing led to another. In other words, RCA was, a, was the start. Um, praying liturgy hours mm-hmm. is literally my introduction. Um, and then um, I ended up meeting Val. Val who, Chun. Uh-huh. Val Chun, who um, invited me and trained me as a reader, as a lector. Who now lives in Hawaii. Hawaii. I know, I know. That's why I was looking There's at There's all it. kinds of connections. Isn't it's, that interesting? It's, 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 yeah, it's great. Well, that was a connection then, you know, in, in many ways. Uh, and for your readers who don't know, Val um, uh, had my job. I my job. I one of the other ways I serve the cathedral is to do the scheduling, if you will, for the lectors and right. the extraordinary ministry. And she did that. And she did that. She was the one who ambushed me, if ah. you will, <laughs> to get me to take over that that function or that that service. Who uh, who who invited you to become a lector? Well, I think it was Val. It was Val? Yeah. No. And um, uh, I I love reading mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, in spite of um, uh, Michael Augusty, um, who who has really been a um, both um, a source of encouragement and a critic, if you will. Sure. And a guide into that process. and. You know, and anybody who's had the the opportunity to to meet and get to know Michael along those lines, um, he wants things to be perfect. He bottom does. line, bottom line, he does. And um, he wants everything in the cathedral all the time. And and what a goal! After all, the cathedral is the home of of our bishop. And and I think that our liturgies are an example of of Michael's. Constant focus on details. I, I agree. You know, and if you listen to, uh, it was like the second episode of Let's Talk Parish. Um, I spoke with Michael. Oh, good. And he talked. He yeah. talks about what he went through becoming a lector, um, and it was very intense. Whoa. And um, I'm sure it left a, a mark on him as far as what it means to be a lector and how important that is, because it's not just reading; it's actually proclaiming the Word of God. Oh, I agree. Um, I, so it takes on a, a whole different dynamic. And and one of the things that's changed that dynamic for me um, is, you know, I think um, it kind of went to my head when I first started reading. It was oh, what what a great! It was a rush, sure, to stand up at the ambo and look out over the parish and read to the parish. At first. I wasn't proclaiming the mm. word. I, I, I wasn't trying to make sure that people heard the word of yes. God. And um, and as you know, there are the, there are always going to be people who will rush through the reading, and you go, "What do they say? What do they just do?" You know. So so my goal is to try to reach out now more than anything. One of the things that's helped me do that 
is something called Lectio Divina. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, the divine word, um, uh, praying the uh, over the divine word. Um, and recently we went through that Lenten experience with, yeah, with Rex. The Saint, with the St. John's Bible. Which was, which was wonderful. With Rex, yeah, yeah. that was so, wonderful. It reminded me of how important Lectio Divina is. Absolutely. You know, in, in that sense. So Absolutely. So that's that's preparation and mm-hmm. that's uh, preparing and praying over the word before before delivering it. B- before delivering it. That's why um I'm going to be reading I have the profound privilege of reading at a wedding this coming Saturday mm-hmm. of two individuals who both went through RCIA mm-hmm. as adults, you know, one six or seven years ago, and then his wife-to-be last year. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's wonderful to see them in mass now, you know. Oh, yes. And so um, uh, they asked me to do the reading. And when they when I said, well, okay, I'll do the reading for the mass, but please, please, please send it to me. And they sent me the, I don't know if they're coordinates or what they are, but the references to where they are in Titi's, you know, uh, book. Okay. Because she does all the prep work. And right. so I kept saying, but what are the readings? What are the readings? Yeah. They figured you had, you might have had yeah, the book yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. Uh, I do have the readings now. And, oh, good. And that always helps. So, yeah. Um, one of the things, when you know, when we were chatting prior to the recording, oh. story I was going to ask you about, and... I don't know how we skipped over your time in because you spent in some time Cal- in, in Colorado, Colorado, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And somehow we skipped over that yeah. completely. No, there, so, there were a, a few years that I I spent in between in Colorado, uh, living in oh, when, when I got my bachelor's degree from, from Hastings College, from there I went to Colorado, and was in Colorado for almost oh I don't know four or five years. Okay. You know, so that's why I say I'm 70 years old now. You know, believe it or not, for those people out there listening in, you know, in Radio Land. Um, so I'm I'm not surprised I I lost a, a few years. A few here. years. No, that's yeah. okay. So that's why I'm here. You know, I I've never been as stable as I am now because of grace, because right. of marriage, because of the sacraments, because of the church. Um, but then I was still sort of a free spirit and yeah. ended up working in. Uh, for uh, a home for severely emotionally disturbed adolescents. And um, so some of the gentlemen, uh, some of the other guys that I worked with who worked in the home, loved to go climbing. And this is the experience you're talking about? Yeah, so did you did you become a mountain climber while you were in Colorado? Or was this a one-off experience? No, I, I climbed as many of the 14,000-foot peaks as I possibly could in the years that I was there. Um, I thought I became relatively proficient. Okay. You know, um, but the experience I think you're referring to is yes. the, it's the Little Bear Peak climb. Little Bear Peak is one of the 14,000 foot peaks. The front of the peak is Con Cave. Right. And so. So um, it, it bends inward. It bends inward. So, it, anyways, there were four of us that hiked up to 12,000 feet and had a camp. And then the next morning we thought, we don't need ropes or carabiners or harnesses or anything like that or or pitons. We can free climb this. We looked at the front of the of the peak, the convict. We went, yeah, it's a piece of cake. And talk about, I, I get dizzy sometimes when I think about this, the, the experience itself. We got about halfway up and realized, climbing the, the, the face of this peak. It was, it was concave. It was concave. That we were in trouble. We had no equipment. We had no ropes. But we couldn't go back down. In fact, I'm, I'm getting dizzy thinking about it, mm. you know. And so we were in trouble. And at one point, um, we're, we're ta- we, we couldn't stand and ta- so the only way to go up was, only way to go was keep climbing. Sure. You know, and, and pray, and pray. Yeah. That we, uh, that one of us didn't slip and, um, end up at the bottom of this, you know, cause we were about a, a thousand feet up on the 
on yeah, the, at the that point, you you would have met your maker. Oh, without a doubt. Um, but anyways, halfway up the face of this, we heard voices. We heard people talking who were climbing on another part of the face of the cliff. We couldn't see them. Because of the acoustics of the... But because of the acoustics, we could hear them. Hear it was them. like, okay, God, I, we hear you. We know we did something very, very foolish. Just let us get to the top. You know? <laughs> so we did make it to the peak. It was dark uh, by the time we got to the top. We couldn't go down the way we came up, so we had to go down the spine of, of the peak itself, mm. kind of hand over foot slowly. Because now it's nighttime. Yeah, but, but we had a moon out, so there was some light sure. that was offered, which, we, which was good. Um, it was almost morning by the time we made it back down. Goodness. Um, call it a, a spiritual climb. Um, sure made me... Um, realize how foolish <laughs> we were at the at that particular time foolish maybe a little on the arrogant side or a little oh, hubris or oh all of, all of those uh, without a doubt you know, and here we were supposed to be counselors working with severely emotionally <laughs> disturbed adolescents it's like who was who who was disturbed you know so no, good experience. I'm glad you mentioned it's that. It's a good Chris. story. No, yeah. it's a good yeah. story, and yeah. I think that there are life lessons to, that can be drawn from it. You know, well, being prepared and yeah. you know, getting part way and not being able to turn back. And well, it was definitely traumatic at that time. Oh yeah. Uh, I at that particular time in life, you know, I wasn't really involved uh, with with church at all. Yeah. You know. Uh, that really didn't take off. I, I, I know when I was at Citrus College, um, I worked indirectly with the Catholic Church there doing what is referred to as big old sharing sessions. Hmm. Big old sharing sessions uh, were kind of a, um, a retreat for Catholic College level individuals. Okay. Stress management was the focus, you know. And um, it was just kind of a, in in my mind, a great time to to get together and and de you know debrief from mm-hmm. the stresses of of life in general, and um, you know, nothing like what I I think our axe team with the cathedral has is involved into. The axe is more spiritually focused, okay, you know, in that sense. So don't confuse the two. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah. What does life look like going looking forward? Well, now that I'm vaccinated, hey, <laughs> we can get back to our coffees. Yeah, we can get back to our coffees, which uh, it, it it may sound pretty simple, but I'm looking forward to. Me too. I'm fully vaccinated on April eighth. It's uh, yeah, it's almost like a second birthday, you know. So, um, and then we'll be able to gather and have our our morning coffee chats like we used to I, do. I I am. Concerned, I am concerned that um, uh, we're not out of the woods in terms of the pandemic, but that's another whole t- topic in itself. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. So, well, Fred. Yeah, Chris. Uh, like always, I so enjoy talking with you. Um, there are a lot yeah. of topics that we cover when it's just you and me that we didn't cover today, which is probably appropriate. Oh, I agree. Um, uh, but I look forward to just having you know free for alls with you going forward. There will um, be many of those, I'm sure. So, bringing this to a final moment, um, let's uh, let's close with praying the Our Father together. Sounds good. And would you please get us started? Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Fred, you have a most blessed day and a blessed Easter octave. You too, Chris. Thank you. Amen. Talk to you later. Be well now. Be well. Let's Talk Parish is co-produced by Rex Rolanka, Titi Kila, 
and Chris Jensen. Our theme music is Live and Be Happy by Valentina Gribanova. You can listen to Let's Talk Parish by going to the Cathedral Bulletin at cathedralsacramento.org or by searching on your favorite podcast app. Wherever you find us, please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. A special thanks goes to the rector of the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, Father Michael O'Reilly. If you wish to donate to the Cathedral, please visit our website at cathedralsacramento.org. There you will find a button labeled Donate. I'm Chris Jensen, and I have had the pleasure of being your host for this episode. Thank you for listening, and until we meet again, may God be with us all.